Father, I pray that would be a truth all across this room right now. That everything else can wait. Everything else from this week, everything else that is coming up, it can wait now because we're here to hear your voice. Oh Lord, may it be so. May we hunger for you. May you look upon this place and see hearts that are open to receive. Not prideful, not pitting themselves against you, but willingly, joyfully, eagerly, humbly, coming under the authority of your word and saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Father, I pray you would find hearts that are hungry for you. A church, a body that desires to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Father, I pray today we would see afresh the call to love one another as Christ has loved us. Father, I pray right now you be with my mouth, guarded from error, speak through your servant what you want to say, have your way in this place, we surrender it all to you. Come Lord, come and meet with us. May you reprove and rebuke and correct and refresh. God, may you encourage, may you build up, may you strengthen all in accordance to the work that you're doing in our lives individually, and corporately as the body of Christ. So we bring all this before you and say, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ and of church, you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Wonderful time of worship this morning. Well, church, today we are continuing on our series in 1 John. We're about 65, just under 70%, maybe 70% of the way through the book right now. It's been an incredible series. And uh, last week we looked at how we are to live out our lives as children of God. Chapter 3 is mostly about John exhorting the people of the church. This is what being a child of God looks like if we are earnestly seeking after the Lord. How are we to live out our lives as children of God? And specifically last week we looked in regards to confronting sin in our lives and practicing righteousness. So John said, no one who goes on making a practice of sinning is of the Lord. But confronting that and living lives, practicing righteousness. And again, we're not talking about sinful perfection. We're going to be sinning all the way till we get to eternity, but at the same time, increasing habitually in living holy lives that honor the Lord as his character, the character of Jesus Christ is made manifest increasingly in us through sanctification. Now this week, John continues in looking at the second aspect. So aspect one was practicing righteousness. Aspect two is this, that should characterize the life of a child of God, and it is this, their love for others. Their love for others, specifically in our context today, we always want to read God's word in context, specifically in our context today, their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Love for their brothers and sisters in the church. We're looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, title is Love One Another, and if you do not have a Bible with you, just raise your hand right now because our ushers are going to come forward and we want to put one in your hand so that you can follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then keep that as a gift so you can continue to study. So put your hand up nice and high and our ushers will drop that in your lap for you. See, here's the, here's, you say, why is this such a big deal, this exhortation, yeah, love one another. Why is this such a big deal? Because here's what it boils down to, right out of the gate. This is the very heart of the gospel itself. This is the very heart of the gospel itself. What compelled Jesus to go to the cross? Love. What should compel us to lay down our lives for one another? Love. 
Right? This is the heart of the gospel, but not only that, it's the proof that one is a genuine believer in Christ. It is the distinguishing proof. You take love out, you take the gospel out. And you say, why is this proof? Why is this so important? Here it is, you'll see it on the screen. Big nail for today. Genuine faith is always seen through a genuine love for others. Genuine faith is always seen through a genuine love for others. True faith, true love. True faith, true love. And it begs the question, when you hear those words, true love, uh, what is true love? I mean, Disney's got ideas. The shopping mall has ideas. Government has ideas. What is true love? What is that? I mean, do you truly know what love is and what the genuine evidences are of it? Otherwise, how can we show it? And you say, why is this important? Well, well, here's the problem that it addresses. We live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with distorted and twisted deceptions of what true love actually looks like. And the church is buying into it and suffering greatly because of it. the distorted perception and the, and the church is buying in as the world creeps in to the church and the pressure starts to increase to compromise on the word of God to not hold to our convictions that we just sang about as we sang the Apostles' Creed together moments ago and the church is suffering because of it. Make no mistake, make no mistake. Hear the seriousness of this today of what Christ calls us to without growing in a genuine biblical love for one another the church will cease to function as God intends because the very heart of the gospel church is at stake in this battle the very heart of the gospel is at stake in this battle and here we are given three essential characteristics that must must be increasingly evident in the life of a true follower of Christ and in the church if its people are to be growing in love for one another in living out the gospel by the power of the Spirit as God intends. And to honor the authority of the word of God, let's stand as we read that this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Love one another. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, to grow in love for one one another, we see first off this. We must have hearts that desire righteousness. 
We must have hearts that desire righteousness. Key concept for this is uh, God is first, not myself. God is first, not myself. We must have hearts that desire righteousness. Look at verse 11. John says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Notice where John starts here. John begins by reminding the believers of the message of the gospel, the message he's talking about, the message of the gospel that has and will not change from the first time they heard it preached to them. The message of the gospel hasn't changed. The Gnostics, the false teachers, were trying to distort it in John's day in the church in Ephesus, in the church in Asia Minor. And here it is, here it is, he's saying it doesn't change. The fact that the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, came to us as fully God and fully man, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and suffered on a cross, paid the penalty of the wrath of God that you and I so deserve, died and three days later was rose again to pay the penalty for sin that in him as we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, we have new life in him. That message doesn't change, has never changed. And this message has as its heart the moral imperative, the moral imperative for Christians to walk in love towards one another as Christ loved us from a heart that is desiring to be righteous before him. Okay, a little recap, little reminder from last week. Recall this, what is righteousness? Doing what God prefers or pleases him from walking in obedience to him. Righteousness. Doing what is right in God's eyes, not society, in God's eyes what is right and what pleases him by the power of his spirit. And I love how it says we are, we are to love one another. Verse 11 starts, at, what's, the, what's the word for love? We looked at it last week briefly. We'll recap it again. The Greek word for love there is agapeo. Agapeo, which is to long for, or I love this, to long for or take pleasure in doing what God prefers, not what our flesh prefers, but what God prefers in serving others. To long for it, to take pleasure in it. It speaks of a love which is driven by a sense of, get this, get this, a sense of value and preciousness as one person prizes another and it is shown through the power of Christ in them. Preciousness, value. Is this how we're seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ, loved ones? That you are precious in God's eyes, and as such, I'm begging him that you would be precious in mine. To long for that. So question, is this the love that we see promoted in our world today? God before me, you before me. That's what it comes down to. God before me, you before Is that what's promoted? See, this is the heart of the gospel and what Jesus commanded all those who claim to be his followers to do. It's just, it's just not an option. You see in John's tone in verse 11, he says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. It's not an option to not love. That we should love one another another and we looked at what John starts off by what we should do okay and then he takes the contrast I love how John does this all throughout the letter here's what you should do here's what you shouldn't do he goes now to what we should not do look at verse 12 look at verse 12 he says this we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous 
See, John now takes us back. Look what John does here. I love under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John now takes us back to the first example in the Bible that we're given in the Bible of not loving one's brother, which happens also to be, unsurprisingly, the first murder in human history. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve's two sons. Let's read Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Let's get some context. You'll see it on the screen there. You can flip there in your Bibles as well. Cain and Abel. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of that of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard, that means accepted, for Abel and his offering. He accepted it, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, that is, what's that? Doing what is right in God's eyes, righteousness. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Verse eight, Cain spoke to his brother, to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Sobering word, eh? John takes us back to this. And on the surface, we have to see this. Cain, did you notice this? Verse 3. Cain was outwardly conforming to God's law. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, the fruit of the ground. External conformity. Here you go, Lord. I'm doing the actions. I'm giving you the offering. I'm serving you. Okay, what's wrong here? Abel did the same thing. So what's the distinctive difference between the two? Cain's outwardly conforming to God's law, yet what became clear when God confronted him on that was his offering or service to the Lord was not done out of a heart of righteousness. Out of a heart of righteousness. The different, God wasn't like, hey, you brought me vegetables. Abel brought me a, a calf. I'm taking, uh, I'm taking Abel's. No, no, no. It had nothing to do with the offering itself. It had to do with the heart behind the offering. It's a sobering word for us today. A heart. Cain did not desire a heart of righteousness. And look at, look at, and, and Abel did. Just flip back to verse John, and you see that at the end of verse 12. Because his own deeds were evil, that's Cain, and his brothers were righteous. They were righteous. See, Cain's was done out of a desire to serve himself. And to promote his good works to God the way he wanted to and not how God wanted him to. I'll serve God on my own time in my own way. Careful. Careful, loved ones. This is a sobering reality. The heart is desperately sick and wicked, Jeremiah says. Be careful. And what's the result? The deeds there, you see in verse 12, that word deed. Because his own deeds were evil. You know, what, you know what the Greek for deeds means there? For evil? 
wicked and unacceptable before God. Right action, external conformity, I'm putting in the time, Lord. I'm putting in the effort, God. I'm doing the task. And yet in God's eyes, it was wicked and unacceptable because it was not coming from a heart that was desiring to be righteous before him. And what became clear is that as his heart was not desiring righteousness, but was desiring to offer service to God on his terms, in his way. And ultimately, this was spurred on by the evil one, he says right here, the devil. The devil. And his true heart was revealed when the Lord did not accept his offering. He didn't get what he wanted, was incensed to jealousy towards his brother Abel, and eventually murdered him. Isn't it so true, loved ones? There's nothing new under the sun, amen? Isn't it so true that our heart is always clearly exposed when we don't get what we want and what we expect? Think about the seriousness of this for a moment. Cain's deeds were not accepted because his heart was not right before the Lord. Instead of desiring righteousness before God, his heart was filled with, you just look through Genesis 4, 1 to 8, and you see it all. His heart was filled with pride, which turned to jealousy, which turned to envy, which turned to bitterness, and ultimately hatred towards his brother, whose offering came from a right heart before the Lord, verse 12 says. That's what pride does when it's unchecked. That's where our flesh will take it. See, the truth we see is this. External conformity in deeds done for the Lord is not necessarily an indication of a heart that is desiring righteousness before him. Loved ones, loved ones. We must understand that God is more concerned about what's going on in your heart than anything that is coming out of your hands. Always, 100% of the time, he is always more concerned about what's going on in here than what's coming out of here. External conformity is no indication of a heart that is desiring him and has been transformed by him. How do we know this? 1 Samuel 16, 7. You'll see it on the screen. Samuel says, For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. He looks at the heart. God always is going after the heart. Why? Because the heart, as Proverbs 4.23 says, is the wellspring of life. It controls, it's the center. It controls the will, the mind, the emotions, the actions, the words. It's all overflowing from what's going on in here. That's why the Lord searches the heart and goes there first. And the reality is this. This came this week. You'll see it up on the screen. Without a heart that hungers increasingly for righteousness, We will not have God-likeness, but Godlessness. Without a heart that is increasingly hungering for righteousness, we will not have God-likeness, but Godlessness, no matter how convincing the external actions may be. 
Sobering moment right here, loved ones. Sobering moment. Where's your heart? Where's mine right now? Where's your heart? How many of the deeds that you and I offer to the Lord are done out of a heart that is truly longing for him and being righteous before him? And aren't done out of a selfish desire, a prideful desire to put yourself first and earn something from him or others like what Cain was doing. But one that is truly longing for him to be righteous before him. How about this? Some examples came to mind. In your offerings to God in your families, your marriages, we lay down our lives for our spouse or, or in our families with our children. How many of those things are done to, okay, I'll do this just to get the kids quiet. And no, hey, I like quiet as much as anyone. Trust me. But I'll just do that. Fine, fine. I'll just give in because I don't want to argue anymore. Hey, careful. Remember where pride took Cain? Or how about this? In our workplaces. As we show the love of Jesus Christ in that workplace is our, is our deeds, the tasks that we're doing out of a heart of desiring righteousness before the Lord as an offering to him. How about in serving your neighbors or serving in the church? Are we serving from a heart that is desiring to love others as God calls us to? And serving them how he prefers and not just how we feel or want to. One is pleasing to God. One is wicked before him. It's very clear. He searches the heart. And here's why this is so important. A heart that is desiring righteousness before God is a heart that is kept in check. A heart that is desiring righteousness before the Lord is a heart that is kept in check. You saw where it spiraled Cain. There's nothing new under the sun, and we may think that we can put up a good front against it, but trust me, when we talked about last week, the method Satan uses to destroy people is sin. Always. There's no little sin. Careful, loved ones. Careful. To grow in love for one another, we must have heart. It's got to start with the heart. We must have hearts that desire righteousness. God first, not myself. God's way, not my own. God's time, not my own. What God expects and not what I expect. And as we ask God, you have to ask him because we can't manufacture this heart. We can't just white knuckle this. As we ask God for a heart like this to say, Lord, help me to increase my hunger for you by your Holy Spirit alive in me. And we humble ourselves under him. He says, yes, yes, I will do that. That is what I want for you. Yes, I will give you a hunger for me. Yes, I will give you the power to lay your life down. Yes, I will give you a hunger for righteousness that you may know me. And there's joy and there's gladness and there's freedom. The exact opposite of where pride will take you and me. It becomes clear that to grow in our love for one another, we also... We'll see this, though. We can expect to stand out from the world. 
to grow in love for one another, we must expect to stand out from the world. Key concept, distinction, not conformity. Key concept, distinction, not conformity. Let's read verses 13 and 14. It says this. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. See the assurance right there? We know we've passed out of death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John goes on to tell the believers that as they seek to live out the gospel in their lives, in desiring to live righteously and love one another, here it is, here it is, ready? They will not. They will not be able to conform to the world around them. God's seed, as we looked at last week, God's seed abides in them. They will not be able to conform to the world around them in the love that it tells them to show. The supernatural love of God growing in us will make us distinct. It will. It's going to make us distinct. No conformity. I was going to see alliteration. You could do this. Contrast, not conformity, if you really want the C's. Okay? Contrast, not conformity. The power of the gospel is not found in conformity to the world, but is distinct from it. Because the system, why, 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 why? What's the system of the world controlled by? Who is that controlled by? The evil one. The devil. He's been given a time where he, the prince of the world and the system that he oversees, this is why John goes on to say, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, loved ones, that as we live out lives of distinction through the gospel, the world will hate or oppose us. Notice where it says there in those two verses, verse 13 and 14, let's just look at 13. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. What's the Greek word for hates there? A lot of things conjure up in our minds about what hate is. It's this, to detest or to love you less than someone else. Ouch. Ouch. Don't be surprised. To detest, to hate someone, is to love them less than someone else. That's why God is impartial. He does not show partiality. It's getting back to the nature of God. See, the father of the world, Satan, hates us. Think about this. It just makes sense. Father of the world, Satan hates us. His children will as well. Like father, like son. Children of God, children of the devil. Like father, like son. Don't be surprised when the world hates you and I. Okay? But verse 14, John goes on to give the clear evidence of those who are of the world, or as he says here, those abiding in death. And those who are genuine Christians, those who are abiding in Christ by saying this, that every true follower of Christ, verse 14, is distinguishable by their love they show to others specifically in the context here of their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a distinguishing mark. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Christ's supernatural power within them is at work to not have them love themselves more and therefore conform to the world. That's what the world system's bent on. Do what makes you feel good. Love others when they will love you back, serve others when you get served. That's the system of the world. But the supernatural power of the gospel causes us to walk in righteousness and increasingly selfless and sacrificial 
love for others around them. Now, I've got to clarify again. I'm going to say it again, loved ones. We're not going to leave out of here being like, okay, I just got to love anymore. And if, if I don't love and if I mess up once, then I'm not a Christian. Stop. Stop, loved ones. Okay? All right? No. Doesn't mean you're going to get this perfectly. All right? But in a true child of God, there will be an increasingly, over time, habitual, self-sacrificial love that is coming forth because of the power of Jesus Christ manifesting itself in that person. Increasingly, until we see him in glory. This is the type of love that says this. If the world system's like, you know, I'm going to serve you when I get served, it says, I will serve you, I will love you, regardless of how you make me feel or what you can do for me. That takes a supernatural power. Regardless of what I get from you, regardless of how you make me feel, I'm choosing to lay down my life by the power of Christ in me. And then verse 15, as if that wasn't enough, John goes on to say the next part. He doesn't flinch words. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, John finishes this section by bringing to light a sobering truth. If we are not loving one another as Christ calls us to, here's the reality, then we're hating one another. You say, well, that's too strong. There's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground in God's eyes. None. We can try to make ourselves feel better and make a middle ground which doesn't exist. But in God's eyes, we're loving or we're hating. We can't say, well, I don't love that person, but I don't hate them either. I just kind of don't want to hang around them. I don't, I, I can't do it. There's no middle ground. In God's eyes, to not love is to hate, and hatred, as he says, is murder. The same as murder. Look what happened to Cain. So I use the example of Cain. Love how the Holy Spirit did that. See, one commentator said this. In the heart, there is no difference. To hate is to despise, to cut off from relationship. And murder is simply the fulfillment of that attitude. Murder is simply the fulfillment of it. See, the truth is this. It is impossible for one who habitually exhibits hatred towards others to have a new life in Christ. No love, no life. Simple. No love, no life. It's impossible. Because the Spirit of God will see to it that we are increasingly loving one another more. So someone who's continuing habitually in unchecked, unrepented of hatred towards someone else, no love, no life. Our love for one another is what proves we are his. How do we know this? John 13, 35 says this. By this, all people will know, Jesus says, that you are my disciples. If you have good service to one another, if you have lots of Bible knowledge, if you love one another. That's not conformity to the world. It's distinction from it. The world says, love yourself. God says, love others. The world says, serve yourself. God says, serve others. The world says, do what you need to do to get ahead. Pride. God says, do what needs to be done to get low. Humility. 
The world says, expect others to serve you. God says, serve others and expect nothing in return. The world says, complain when you don't get your way. God says, don't expect to get your way. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And the moment we drop the expectation of getting our way is the moment we can expect to start to get him. I think you're seeing how it's impossible to love the way Christ calls us to without Christ's power in us. Amen? That was so sobering prepping this this week. It's impossible to do without him. And this is why it shows who is truly his and who isn't. Our love for one another. Okay? So two questions for us, church. Are you standing out distinct from the world by your love for Christ and others? Does the love you show resemble more of a conformity with the world? Love yourself, serve yourself first. Or a Christ-like distinction that is set apart from it? God before me, you before me. Whatever it takes. And ultimately, this is showing you are his. The second question is this. Who of your brothers or sisters have you been walking out of love towards? Loving less than others playing favorites, showing partiality against, and not loving them in your words and actions as Christ has called you to. In essence, me before God, me before you. Maybe it's in gossip you've said or listened to about them. Maybe it's serving them only when they serve you. What is it? I mean, that's conformity. That's what the world says. Just think about that. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. He desires unity. See, John Piper says this. Brothers and sisters, loving one another is not a trivial thing. It is not optional. Loving one another is critically important. In effect, it's eternally important. It proves we are his. And so what's your next step to getting it right with that person? This is where the rubber meets the road. Right here. Hearers of the word or doers of the word. What's the next step, loved ones? See, to grow in love for one another, we must have hearts that desire righteousness. God first, not myself. We must expect to stand out from the world. Distinction, not conformity. And why will we stand out from the world? John goes on to tell us right now in our last point for today. Because we will lay down our lives for one another. Look at verses, verse 16. By this we know love that he, that is Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Key concept of this is action, not indifference. We must lay down our lives for others, action, not indifference. See, John now gives the standard by which we can know what true love is and what we are to measure our love for others by. Not how by we feel, not what everyone else says, Here's the standard of which we are to measure our love for others by Jesus Christ willingly laying down his life for us to pay the penalty for our sin. That's the standard. Kind of a high standard, eh? Kind of a high standard, loved ones. Wow, intimidating. But this is the highest, you notice why? Why this is the standard? Jesus Christ laying his life down for us is the highest 
possible expression of sacrificial love that this world has ever seen or will ever see. It goes way beyond buying someone dinner, as cool as that is, okay? It goes way beyond it. It goes way beyond helping someone move, as wonderful as that is. This is the highest possible expression. You know, I was yesterday, (laughs) yesterday my Saturday was spent, and I do say all day, trying to install a microwave above my stove. (laughs) Like all day, not even joking. And it, (laughs) be careful what you preach, okay? God's going to take you to the mat on it. And there I am yesterday trying to do this, and one hour turns into three, three hour turns into six, six hours turns into seven, and this thing's just not going up. But finally, praise the Lord, it went. And so I finish, I finish this, I'm like, (laughs) just put the microwave up. Natalie's like, praise the Lord. And my flesh went, praise the Lord? Oh, come on. I was my flesh. I recognized that. I was like, oh, Lord, I repent of that. But I wanted the credit. I wanted the credit. I want to get something out of that. You see how subtle that is? Here I am, upset with my wife for saying, praise the Lord. What? What's wrong with this picture? I'm like, I repented. I said, Natalie, I repent of that. Like, it's just unreal. I thought that was a big self-express. That was a self-sacrificial thing to do. Yeah, I gave up my day. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Right? Jesus Christ laid down every part of his life for us. And as such, we are to lay down our lives in the same way for one another by his power at work within us. Do we understand? We have to get an indication of what it means that Christ laid down his life for us. Here it is. Just a quick snapshot came this week. He laid down his status. He laid down his status before God. Just look at Philippians 2 and you'll see it. All, all of this. He laid down his comfort in God. He was in perfection. He was in paradise. He laid down his comfort. He laid down his relationship with the Father. When he's agonizing in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't because he was about to get whipped and stoned. It was because he was about to lose the intimacy with the Father for that time that he loved so much. He laid down his body on a cross, and ultimately he laid down his life. That's our measuring stick. That's our standard. Kind of makes the microwave not so big a deal, eh? John 15, 12 to 14, Jesus says this. You'll see it on here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, Love this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And a failure to lay down our lives and love others this way displays a failure to understand the magnitude of the cross. Oh Lord, bring us back to the cross. Help us to see it for what it is. I love how Oswald Chambers describes this. It's so tender, so beautiful. See it on the screen. He says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Yet it is contrary to our human nature to do so. If I am a friend of Jesus, I must deliberately and carefully lay down my life for him. It is a difficult thing to do 
and thank God that it is. Salvation is easy for us because it costs God so much. But the exhibiting of salvation in my life is difficult. God saves a person, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and then says in effect, now you work it out in your life and be faithful to me even though the nature of everything around is to cause you to be unfaithful. Distinction. Remain faithful to your friend and remember that his honor is at stake in your bodily life. You want to see love? Look at the cross. You want to know love? Look at the cross. You want to show love? Look at the cross. Not your television. Not your computer. Not the fiction aisle. Look at the cross. That's the standard. So what does loving others practically look like? What does it look like? Well, John gives us two clear ways right here in the last two verses. Number one is this, through our resources. Verse 17, through our resources. Look at this, he says this. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We are to use our resources, the material wealth that God has given us, our finances, our homes, and opening up hospitality, the other goods that we have been given by God to meet the needs of one another in the church. And notice this, again, God gets back to the heart. Did you see that? Did you catch it in verse 17? Gets back to the heart. He says, whoever sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. See, he goes back to the heart again. Yet closes his heart against him. Why? This refers to showing indifference to the need when one is made aware of it. Oh, you got a need? Okay, hope that works out for you. Closing the heart, the indifference to the need. Why is this so important? Because the truth is this. Our hearts control our hands. Closed heart, closed hands. Done. Closed heart, closed hands. He goes back to the heart again. So there's the first thing, through our resources that we've been given. And look at the last one, is through our service. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The word for deed there in the Greek means this, action, work, or labor, to labor for another. As we do life together in this uncommon community that is the beautiful church. And the truth, he goes, deeds, so we're laboring, we're doing that with action, but the truth, what's he talking about with the truth there? That means in accordance with fact. Our words that say, I love you, are true when actions follow that declaration. It's not one of these things that say, yeah, love you, brother, and then you don't follow through. Our words become true when the action follows the declaration, when the practice matches the proclamation. 
in deed and in truth. They don't just say, love your brother, but follow it up with actual proof that it is true. They lay down their lives because here's the reality. True love is never passive. True love is never passive. Christ acted, so we must too, if we are his, in his power. So question, last question of the day is this. How about you? How about me? How about us as a church? Are we laying down our lives for one another? Again, not with simply an external conformity and doing the right actions. But out of hearts that have been gripped by the gospel and seeing one another as God sees us as precious in his sight. From the youngest babe in the nursery down the hall to the oldest person in this room right now. Are they precious in your sight, in mine? That's how God sees them. What are the needs right now in front of you that God is calling you to meet and what is your next step to address them. We can't meet every single need. Not one person is called to meet every single need. That's why it's a body. But what is the need right now that God has put it? Just ask him. You're like, I don't know. Well, just ask. Leave that up to the Lord. And I, I love this. See happening in our church. Seeing the sick being cared for. Seeing those who've lost a loved one having brothers and sisters coming alongside them. Seeing life transitions helped out by the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, seeing people serving just faithfully in this church. I love that. We see that. Because here's the truth that we finish with. You'll see it on the screen. Where the gospel has taken root, love will always be the fruit. Not perfection, but perseverance increasingly. Where the gospel has taken root, love will always be the fruit. And to grow in love for one another, we must have hearts that desire righteousness. God is first, not myself. His ways, not my own. We must expect to stand out from the world. Distinction, not conformity. And we must lay down our lives for one another. Action, not indifference. And there is no better way to examine our hearts and be reminded of this love Then by what? Looking back to the cross. Look to the cross.